be in Revelation 21, verse 9. Um, in our Red Bibles, it's page uh, 1,249. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurements, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made with jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the, la the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Before we uh, look into that, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you have joy and you have life for us, but as, as Becky has already uh, helped us see, we are longing and waiting. We are hungry and needy. And so we come this morning to the pure food of your word and pray that it would feed our souls and nourish our lives. And that by your spirit this morning, you would do a real work in us. By your powerful word, we pray. Amen. Now, um, today, as, as we've said, is the start of, uh, of Advent in the church calendar, and that is this period of, of preparation and, and longing and expectant waiting in the lead up to Christmas. So kids really model uh, Advent really well for us as they kind of count down the days and, and look forward to, to, to Christmas. And at Christmas, of course, we celebrate the birth of Christ when he came to uh, rescue us. 
And so Advent is full of hope looking to the coming of Christ. But it also looks forward, as Becky has helped us see already, beyond Christmas to a better future that God has promised for his people when Christ returns. And that kind of that forward looking with hope is a really significant uh, part of, of the Christian psyche, of the Christian kind of spiritual outlook on the world. Actually, it's quite common for all people, I think. Uh, all people share this tendency. We have this vision of, of a future, a better future that we hope for and we long for, and we have some idea of how we get there. We just do that as, as people, don't we? In every human society we see, it's, it's really obvious, in the religions of the world, this concept of, of heaven or the afterlife or, or something like that, and, and very often it's reached through the good works or the life you live or a particular lifestyle that you have. Actually, I think in our culture, in our society today, the most dominant vision of a better future and how we get there is this progressive vision that is all around us. And it's summed up brilliantly in, um, in the program from the opening ceremony of the London Olympics uh, almost 10 years ago in 2012. I just want to read this excerpt from, if you went to the opening ceremony, you got given that little booklet you get given, and, and this is what it said in it. We welcome you to an Olympic opening ceremony for everyone. A ceremony that celebrates the creativity, eccentricity, daring, and openness of the British genius, very uh, humble, by harnessing the genius, creativity, eccentricity, daring, and openness of modern London. We hope, too, that through all the noise and excitement, you'll gl glimpse a single golden thread of purpose, the idea of Jerusalem, of the better world, the world of real freedom and true equality, a world that can be built, listen to this, a world that can be built through the prosperity of industry, through the caring nation that built the welfare state, through the joyous energy of popular culture, through the dream of universal communication. A belief that we can build Jerusalem and that it will be for everyone. And the Olympics and all of the culture around it gave us a taste of that vision. I don't know if any of you went to London at that time. We did. We got to go to the Olympic Park. Uh, and London was famously vibrant and friendly, so that like, even people would speak to one another on the tube and smile at each other. It was, it was really, really like, noticeable and ridiculous. And it, and it was amazing. And it was this little taste of this progressive vision of what we can build and we can deliver together. And yet you think in the 10 years or so since that heyday of 2012, we've had Me Too, we've had Brexit racism, we've had austerity, we've had Operation U-Tree, we've had COVID, we've had Manchester Arena bombings, we've had endless political scandals, we've got an ongoing food poverty crisis, we've got people who are drowning in our waters trying to get to our country this very week. The list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? And it causes you to think, maybe, just maybe, we can't build Jerusalem. Maybe we ourselves can't build the better world by ourselves after all. Maybe our progress isn't relentless and inevitable and always only and ever good. Well, what we read, what um, Caitlin read for us in, in Revelation 21, 22, it would be really great if you have it open. It's page 1,249 in these red Bibles. Yeah, there we get to the end of the story of the Bible and we get the Christian vision of this better future the hope set before us, and we're also told how we will get there, how it will be delivered on. 
Now, it's not what we often think of, um, and certainly not what people in the world and the culture around us in the UK they think of. Somehow, there's a really distorted version of this that's kind of made its way out into the culture. And so people don't know what Christianity offers. It's entirely possible that you today don't really know what Christianity offers as far as the future goes. You see, Jesus' ultimate purpose is not to take people away to heaven and escape from this earth somewhere uh, kind of out there. But his ultimate purpose we see today is to bring heaven to earth. And this is the ancient vision at the heart of the Christian faith. It's actually where this idea that the London Olympics stole this progressive vision of Jerusalem, of this new better world, it comes all the way out of uh, the Bible, all the way out of Christianity. And so what we're going to see as we just look into Revelation 21 and 22 today is it's going to show us this vision of this new world, this future world. And it's going to show us that that is all that we long for and hope for as as humans. Everything that we want, in the end, Jesus has for us in spades. And he gives it to us. If only we'll receive it. And if we do receive it, then this vision of the future, this hope that we're heading towards is something that sustains us, that keeps us, and encourages us as we strive and strain towards our goal. So there's, there's two things I want to see today. And the first one is this, an insight to the glory of eternal life. An insight to the glory of eternal life. So down in, in, in Revelation 21 and verse 9, where we started our reading, an angel comes and invites John, as we've seen they do throughout Revelation, to come and see. And here is the last thing that Jesus wants John to see as part of his revelation to him. And he is invited to come and meet his bride. Come and meet my wife, Jesus says. And actually, we've encountered her a couple of times before. She first appeared back around chapter 17, 19, when John saw the punishment and the downfall of Babylon the prostitute. We then kind of heard about this this bride. And then last week, we caught a little glimpse of her briefly as she walked down the aisle to her husband. But but now, Jesus says, John, come come and meet her properly. Come and see. Come and notice these things about her. Pause for a moment and take in her beauty. Be captivated by my bride, soak it in for a moment. You you know, if you've been to a wedding, um, certainly in the British culture, as as, as the bride walks down the aisle, and just everyone just kind of looks and stares and just takes it, it's it's actually my favorite moment of a wedding, I'm I'm a bit of a kind of a sucker for that, you know, that moment. It's a beautiful moment though, isn't it? Well, this is that moment. And, and, And this bride is the people of God, the people that he died to save, the people he died to purchase for himself, the people he loves. And, and, and here we are coming down out of heaven from the Father uh, and kind of walking down the aisle, being, being given to his son as this beautiful and radiant wife so they can start their married life together. What's, what's happened just before this, uh, kind of in this final section of Revelation from chapter 17, is Christ has gone and he's defeated all the enemies of this bride whom he loves. He's gone and got rid of them. He's dealt with Satan and Babylon and the beasts and sin and rebellion and even death. He's gone and defeated them and taken care of them. And now having overcome them like the true hero, he comes to marry his bride and to enter into the happily ever after. He's dealt with all of the threats that come against us. And now we're going to start this new life together. And so this vision of this bride, of this, of this, um, uh, this bride coming down, down the aisle, isn't just a, a picture of who we are, but it's also a picture of the future that we have with him, the future life to come. This is an insight into our eternal life. 
And it's not what we think of as heaven, the place where if, if you're a Christian and you die, your spirit goes to be with Christ. No, this is, this is what Christ is going to do. This is the final day of the world as we know it, when, as I said, heaven comes down to earth. This is the world to come, life everlasting. And the image here is of the city of God, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven to earth. And as we dwell on this vision, like we would dwell on a bride walking down the aisle in a wedding, as we allow it to captivate us, we get a little foretaste of that life to come. It's kind of like our, our appetites are wet for it. This, this, this beautiful imagery just helps us to grasp hold of our future hope. And it's a real earthy vision. We'll see that as we work through it. A real earthy vision. It's the fullness of the world. The world's purposes being reached. But therefore also our purposes in each of our lives reaching their fullness. So so as John looks at the bride, there's three big things he notices. Um, Firstly, she looks like a beautiful city. Secondly, that there is a temple at the heart of this city. And thirdly, that actually it's a royal garden city. So verse 10, he sees the city of God coming down out of heaven, and he's struck by how beautiful it is, how how secure it is, and how big it is. He says it's brilliant, it's shining like this precious jewel, it's shining with the glory of God. And as he just tries to describe it, every precious metal and every precious stone you could wish for there, the city walls are of jasper, the gates are these massive pearls, the foundations are decorated with every kind of precious stone. Stones that I wouldn't know how to pronounce, but, but Caitlin did all right. But it's just, it's just all of this, this beauty. And then, and then the great street through the city is this street of gold. And, and, and the imagery is just clear. There's just this wealth and this prosperity and, and, and this, this just beauty beyond which you can imagine. This is a rich and a pleasant land. It's a beautiful place to be. And yet it's not all show. It's also safe and secure. It's... It's firm and, and, and established. It's a city with um, these 12 foundations with the names of the apostles, these great high walls that are 65 meters thick, and these great gates with the names of the tribes of Israel. You see, this is the city of God. This is full of the people of God from across all of history, from the, uh, represented by the 12 tribes and the 12, 12 apostles. We've seen before, 12 is this symbolic number in Revelation, and it means the complete people of God. This is the place of God's people. Here in in this passage, you've got 12, you've got 12,000, you've got 144, which uh, some of the math teachers will tell us is 12 squared. I had to do it in my calculator to make sure. That was a true fact. But they all speak to this reality. This is the people of God. This is our home. This is our city and our place. Uh, And it's a place where we are eternally secure. It's a great fortress. Nothing, we read, can ruin this paradise. Nobody there will be lost from it. In fact, in verse 15, this angel starts measuring out the city, starts measuring out the walls uh, and the gates, and and we read that it's 12,000 stadia in length, width and height. It's this perfect cube. Now, that's um, 1,400 miles. So, again, Google tells you that's like from here to Belgrade in Serbia, cubed. It's also the approximate size of the known world at that time. And so the relevance of this isn't lost on John. Not only is this a massive city, you just can't even picture the size of it because the people of God are a great multitude. But this is the city of God filling the whole earth forevermore. But John notices something surprising, verse 22, about this new Jerusalem. 
Unlike the Jerusalem on earth, the place that he used to hang out and he knew really well, whose temple was at the heart of the city, representing God's presence for hundreds of years, this Jerusalem, he says, has no temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And this makes sense of this perfect cube-shaped city. This is the completion, the fullness of the Holy of Holies, that room in the middle of the temple that was this perfect cube shape where the people of God experienced the holy and the perfect presence of God. But now this is the reality everywhere in, in all its fullness in all things. The whole world is full of the presence and the glory of God. This is the true place of his presence, his full and final resting with people. And it's his glory, therefore, which lights up this whole city and this whole world. That's the light by which we live. And as the nations walk by the light of God's glory, we read that they bring all of their splendor, all of their glory, and all of their honor into this city. The 12 gates open up, and the nations just pour in with all of their riches and all of their goodness and all of their life. People come from the four corners of the world and bring the best that they have to this temple of God, this city. You see, rather than the things of earth growing strangely dim in this glorious God's presence, they sparkle with a new and a deeper brightness and beauty. In the end, all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the splendor of the nations is enjoyed and celebrated to the glory of God. We get it wrong, you see, when we think that the Christian uh, vision of eternal life is us floating off to some other realm, some other happy place or world out there, all wispy and spirit-like, floating on clouds, which is what our culture believes we, we believe in. That is not the Christian hope at all. No, the Christian hope, the Christian vision of eternal life is more substantial and more weighty and more physical than we could ever experience or know now. It is the ultimate reality. There is a weight of glory that awaits us. And this has just given us a little insight into it. The, the most beautiful thing that captivates you now or the most pleasure that you can possibly experience in your body now, or the most overwhelmed with happiness that you have ever felt, or the most worldly glory and comfort that you can lay a hold of now, just none of it can compare to that which is coming. It just can't. In fact, in comparison with what's coming, everything we experience now is just going to be like one of those dreams that you kind of struggle to remember, and you just kind of passes and it's gone. You see, it's, it's as, if, as if God's glory is refracted in his world. You know when you, you shine a light through, um, through a prism, I think, isn't it? It splits into the beautiful rainbow. You see all of the colors of the light, and it, it's, that's called refracting. And, and so it is with God's glory that it is seen and it is experienced in a million beautiful different strands in his world. It's like his glory is refracted in the world that he has made from the beauty of a sunset to a soaring symphony, from the joy of sexual intimacy to a deep connection with a friend from deep laughter in your belly when it just hurts because you just can't control the laughter anymore to the peace that a pet may bring to your soul. God's glory doesn't compete with or replace any of these things, but it's the ultimate source of their goodness, their beauty, and their joy. And so it's the ultimate fulfillment of them. 
And so as the glory and the honor and the splendor of the nations is brought into this great city of God, to this temple of God, this place where his presence is, do you know what it does? It just increases our joy. It just takes life up a notch. And it magnifies the glory of God, who is the source of it all. Guys, this is where we're heading. I want to see some more smiles. (laughs) We should be smiling. And yet there's more to see. For as the angel draws John in yet closer, chapter 22, verse 1, he sees that this new world is also a royal garden with a throne at his heart. And flowing from this throne down the great middle of this great street of the city is the river of the water of life. And on each of its banks, John sees the tree of life with leaves for the healing of the nations, and it bears its crops every month. And so we will be able to eat forever from this tree of life in joyful dependence on God, continually receiving our healing and our life from him. This is just there in the middle of the city. We can just feast on it day and night. And, and, and it's just this beautiful vision, isn't it? It brings us back to the beginning of the Bible story. If you know your Bible, you'll recognize some of this. We're back in this beautiful, unspoiled garden. We've got this perfect marriage between the man of God and his beautiful bride. And there they are together with the tree of life and enjoying the holy and glorious presence of God in this perfect world. It's always been what God, God has wanted for us, what he's intended for us. But this time, there's no spoiling it. We're promised in verse 3, there will no longer be any curse from God. For nothing impure will ever breach these cities' walls. These, these walls are now guarded over by angels who are kind of keeping watch. And there's no more night, there's no more darkness, there's no more suffering, there's no more pain. There's no more evil. This is the purpose of the world. This is what God made the world for. Finally fulfilled. This is the new world, the renewed world. It's our future home. It's Eden restored, and it is absolutely amazing. And verse 5, we will reign with God forever and ever. This is our purpose fulfilled. Reigning with Christ in his world, full of glory and goodness, full and finally free. What an insight. Listen, you may not believe this is true. But if that's you, don't you wish it was? Don't you wish the world could be like this? Listen, Jesus, who was a real man with a historical record of things he did, and he said that you can investigate uh, and look into if you want, he claims this is not only true, but this is the true story that we were made for. That's why it resonates in our souls. This is the great ending of which all other great endings in our stories are merely a faint echo. You see, eternal life is not just about quantity. It's not just saying, yeah, it goes on and on and on and on forever. But it's it's about quality. It's about fullness and, and, and how good it is. And the insight here is that Jesus offers us life without comparison, life that is eternally good, Life to the full, a life full of wealth, a life full of health, a life full of prosperity and wholeness. This is a life of flourishing that Jesus holds out to us. This is a hope for this earth, and this is a hope for our lives. But listen, it's not a life that we make or we create by our own ingenuity. 
by our own industry, by our own culture and creativity. It's not a life that we can name it and claim it, that some preacher can deliver to us or some faith healer can give us. It's not something we just exercise big enough faith to take hold of and then it's ours to, to have. It's not a life that the advertisers or the product, product developers can deliver to us no matter how much they promise they can. And it's not a life that we can earn or create ourselves. But it is the life. It is the true life that God will one day bring. That he will bring down to earth as he brings heaven to earth forevermore. And so it is a life that we wait for by faith with expectance. Jesus said, I've come, to, uh, I've come so that people may have life and have it to the full. And here he is showing John and he's showing us this is what I mean by life to the full. This is what I've got for people. This is what I'm offering to you. And the question's obvious, isn't it? What will you do with his offer? What will you do with it? Here's the second thing, much more briefly. See, this is also an invite to the joy of eternal life. An invite to the joy of eternal life. We, we didn't read it, but um, chapter 22, verse 6, to the end of Revelation, ends with this invitation to come and receive this eternal life. And three times in that closing section, if you look down, uh, Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. Verse 7, he says it. And then again in verse 12. And then finally in verse 20, look, I am coming soon. Soon, See, that is his promise, that this time is near. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean he's coming today or, or tomorrow, though he could. Though he could. But it's that the time has always been near since Christ has returned to heaven. This is the next big thing that's happening. This is the next part of the play, the next part of the plot in salvation history. And, and so, therefore, the time is near because it's of great pertinence and great relevance to our lives. And so we've been given these trustworthy and true words in this book of Revelation to show us what must soon take place. We are all privileged that we have been given this insight this morning. And so John isn't to seal up these words, but he's to, 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 to write them down. And they're here in scripture for us so that this invite is opened up before each of us today. You see, Advent isn't just a time of preparing for that first um, uh, that first coming of Christ, that celebration of, of him coming in the human flesh to rescue us that we celebrate at Christmas. No, but Advent lights up our hearts and points us further forward in the future with a longing for Christ to come again in glory and in power. And when he does come again, he doesn't come veiled and, and, and in the humility of, of the man who came first time, but he comes in all glory and he brings his final salvation and he makes all things new. And so at Advent, this is the promise. This is the hope that we long for. This is what we are expectant about. The time is near. So what do you say in response? Look at verse 17 of chapter 22. This is absolutely key. Let me just read it. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Listen, you today are being beckoned to come. 
Come and take the free gift of the water of life. And then to be one who with the Spirit and the Bride says, Come, come, Lord Jesus. Normally a ward city has just one gate, doesn't it? Because they want to kind of control who comes in and, uh, and who comes out and, and keep people out. Would you see this heavenly city? It's got 12 gates. They're just all around it. The message is clear. On every side, <clears throat> the way is open. People come from all the, the, the nations and all across the globe and all across the earth and, and, and come. Come one, come all. This place is open. Come and receive for free. There's nothing to stop and nothing to hinder you. And so let the one who hears this invite say, come. If you're spiritually thirsty this morning, why don't you come? Why don't you come and take the free gift of the water of life? Why would you delay any longer? Come and receive life to the full. Come and receive life that only Jesus can bring to you. That only Jesus actually claims to give this kind of life. I haven't heard anything else like it anywhere else. Come and receive a life that waits and eagerly expects all of these things. Why not do that right here, right now? You can. Do you know that? You can. This is a free gift on offer. It is absolutely free. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. There's nothing you have to do to deserve it. There's nothing, no way you have to be good enough. There's nothing in your past that you have to hide or forget about. This is a free offer. There's nothing that need hold you back this morning. Maybe you never quite realized it. Maybe you've, you've always understood and always heard and maybe you assumed that Jesus was the same, that religion is about being good and impressing God and others and doing enough good to overcome the bad that we all have and, and, and finding our way to God, earning our way to heaven. And, and you know what? It nearly always is. But not with Jesus. No, that isn't the way. Jesus offers you today the free gift of eternal life. He paid for it himself by his own perfect life and sacrificial death, but for you it is free. And it's just held open to you. Will you take hold of it? See, nobody in this city, nobody there will be there because they deserved it or they earned it. And that is so good because there'll be nobody who's self-righteous, nobody who's like holier than thou or like, yeah, I, I got into seventh heaven because I was so good or whatever. None of that. Everybody there will be feeling like lottery winners. We've been given this free gift. We're just like, whoa, you got it too. This is awesome. We totally made up the luckiest people on earth. Quite literally. You want in on that? It's yours. Just take it. Just take it. All you've got to do is hold out your hands and receive. Take Jesus at his word. Stop rejecting him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come and receive this free gift of life. Trust him. If you don't know what it looks like to do that or what it means, just speak to someone this morning. Come and, come and grab me later. I'd love to talk with you. Speak to a friend, whatever. Just take him at his word. Now, if, if you do that, or if you have done that, if you've accepted that invite and, and this resonates in your soul, then, then let the sure and the certain hope of home keep you going. 
Let it strengthen your resolve this morning. Let it, let it help you live faithfully for the coming king. For that's what revelation is to help us to do. See, see we're, less, we're less the builders and the architects of this, of this new world, of this new Jerusalem. And we're more refugees longing for and journeying to a home that we've never yet been to. And yet we know deep in our soul that it is our home. That it is where we belong. That it does offer the promise of life that we've always wanted. And so that means that our experience as the people of God in the here and now is of one that is of being not at home, of being estranged, of being away from home, of having human longings that as yet are unresolved, of things in our lives that are as yet not kind of tied together. Our experience is one of being on a journey, a journey that is fueled by the sure hope of our final destination, but one which has many challenges along the way. See, ours is a refugee spirituality. That refugee experience of not at home yet, but we're heading there. Think of the suffering hopeful in Calais today, living in a tent city, attempting these dangerous channel crossings. Their whole life and their whole reality is shaped by the hope of a country that they long for. And their resolve is strengthened for the trial, and they are suffering greatly for it. And it is a tragedy that their desperation is used by evil men to get rich and endanger their lives. But it is a helpful way to see the Christian life, aside from the people smugglers. It is living faithfully for the coming king, and it looks like a pilgrimage. It looks like a refugee journey through many ups and downs and toils and snares, but always heading one step further forward toward our home. And God's grace being with us every step of the way until we arrive there. And it is always the hope always the hope of that home, of that future that keeps us going. It is the hope of that welcome we will receive that keeps us on the road. Three times here Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. And three times the reply rings out, come Lord Jesus. Because then we've made it. Then we're home. And then it's pure joy. Nothing but pure joy. So listen, if if, if you've accepted this invite, then the thing we're to do is to feast our soul on this. Yes, I know the trials are real now, but listen, so too is the glory to come. Let's not forget that. Grace isn't here today, but many of you know Grace in our church. She used to often uh, say, she said it to me, I'm sure she said it to you. She said, it's all going to be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. You can imagine Grace saying that, can't you? And yet it's so true, isn't it? It's bang on. So don't panic. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on home. Keep your eyes fixed on the joy that is set before you so you can endure to the end with hope. Know and remember this weight of eternal glory that you will one day enjoy will cause you to look back on now. I don't say this lightly. It will cause you to look back on now and in your many and great troubles 
you'll say this. They were light and they were momentary. Like a dream that's gone. Because of the glory that is now here. For all the struggle of the journey, it will be worth it in the end. It will be. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.